look in two places today. First to Malachi, and then to 1 Corinthians 7. Malachi 2. Sorry about that. Malachi 2, we'll start reading with verse 13. It's so funny in Scotland, before I read it, I just had this real problem. In Scotland, they have a, a song, a hymn, between the scripture and the sermon. And I kept forgetting the hymn that I would choose between the scripture and the sermon when I was preaching. And it, it became to be quite, quite comical because everybody would be ready to sing and I'd just start into preaching. So uh, and this is why. This is the way I always do this. You read the scripture and then you do the sermon. But uh, uh, anyway, starting with verse 13. And the Lord's speaking here and he says, And the second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altars with tears with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who divorces, for the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 7, you could really read this whole chapter but we're only going to read the first 17 verses. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, uh, but because of the temptation of sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as I myself am. He was single, and that's what he's talking about. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married, I give this charge, not I but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and she can, he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her, her husband. 
Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband, or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. This sermon came in probably the strangest, one of the strangest ways I've ever had a sermon really come to me. Uh, As you know, I've been preaching uh, for the summer, just been preaching sermons from different kinds of things. I did some controversial issues, and maybe some of this will be controversial, uh, and, and different kinds of things. But it was actually last Sunday I'd preached, I was at home, and all of a sudden, uh, in my mind came the lies we believe like marriage, uh, about marriage really forcefully. I mean, it was very, very forcefully. And, and it was so forcefully that I had to pull out my phone and, and start writing some things down. And I think I might have been in the middle of a conversation with Karen or something like that, or maybe watching TV or something. I, I can't even remember exactly when it came, but it came very strongly. And I'm thinking, what is this? And immediately I felt like this is something that I should preach. And so that's the background of where this thing began to emerge. So I don't know if this will have any relevance to anybody. I assume that it might uh, because it came so forcefully, but I just wanted you to know uh, a bit of the background of that. And, And it's partly because as well, I'd been having conversations probably over the last four months or so with various people in the church and inside and outside the church about the whole issue of marriage and, and things like that. And, and it's not that anybody that I've talked to has confessed one of these lies, by the way. And so that's why I wanted to make it really clear, this hasn't come from any conversation, uh, any interaction with people. And certainly, you know, there's some people uh, that should not see a veiled message in this. I know a couple of you are thinking about marriage and, and this kind of, So you shouldn't see a veiled message in all of this, but for whatever it is, you know, here it is. And so you'll be happy to know I'm not going to go thoroughly through the scripture that I read today. Uh, there's a lot of great issues there and a lot of challenges there. Uh, but let's jump right in and look at some lies we believe about marriage because at the end of the day, I got a dozen So 12, I actually could have kept going, and then I made the mistake in doing, you know, kind of tidying things up. After I got my, I I had 11, and I was really uncomfortable with that. You know, 10's okay, 12's okay, 11 was not. And so I thought, okay, maybe I'm missing something. And so I went online, put in lies we believe about marriage, and then got about like 40 more, which was really extraordinary. But there is one of those that I ended up picking out here. Uh, and influenced me a bit. So here we go. Let's just jump right in uh, to the lies we believe about marriage. I've got to go through these quickly. Otherwise, uh, we won't get them all. And I think some of these, do we have them? Okay, good. Okay, lie number one. Marriage is for settling down. Now, how many times have I heard guys say, yeah, I think it's about time for me to settle down. Or some woman say, it's about time for me to settle down. Marriage is not about settling down. Marriage is for mission. 
Marriage is for mission. The command to Adam and Eve, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. The command to the body of Christ is be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. And the body of Christ is to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it in two ways. One, by making disciples. Two, by having children who are made into disciples. And Paul is very clear that the marriage, you look at Ephesians chapter 5, that marriage testifies to Jesus and his relationship to the church. So marriage is for mission. Marriage is not for settling down. So far, so good. Right? Okay. Lie number two. Lie number two here. God gave us marriage to make us happy. Now that's a big lie. Because I know a lot of people who, I know a lot of single people who have said, oh, if I were only married, I'd be happy. You know, if you're not happy being single, you won't be happy being married. I guarantee you. And your happiness is not God's primary concern. One day you'll have exceeding great joy. But happiness, as we often define it, and I know many, many people who are in marriage say, well, if, I, if this just happened, I'd be happy. Uh, or sometimes even you get people who say, well, if I just had another spouse, I'd be really happy. Doesn't work that way. The truth is that God gave us marriage to make us holy. God gave us marriage to make us holy. You know, there are a lot of things that I can hide from you as your pastor. There's a lot of character flaws that I have. I know that's going to be shocking to some of you. Uh, there's a lot of bad habits that I have. There's even some sin in my life from time to time. And I can hide most of that from you, but you know what? I can't hide it from my wife because she knows. Uh, and so there's a holiness factor and when God puts us together with somebody else, what he is doing is training us and refining us so that we can become the people he wants us to be. So God doesn't give us marriage to make us happy. God gives us marriage to make us holy. That's number two. Now, I'm tempted to go, I could do actually probably a sermon on every single one of these, and I'm tempted not to, obviously. Because uh, Karen would get mad if I start eating into her garden party time. So, you know, and i got to be holy about this. Lie number three. This is actually one of my favorites. Uh, the one you marry is your soulmate. You know, how often have I heard that? You know, I, I want to I be with my soulmate. And most of the time, frankly, it comes from ladies. Okay, not, not, to, be, not to be sexist here. Most of the time... You know, when I hear about it, I hear it talk about ladies, but men do this too. You know, they, they want their soulmate. Now, what do we mean by soulmate? Actually, nobody really knows because it's a myth. I don't think it exists. Uh, this whole idea that there's a soulmate, that there's somebody that you're going to be so deeply connected to that you don't even have to, you, you don't even have to say anything, that they just sense your needs and respond to your needs. And, you know, and it's that way, it goes back and forth. It doesn't exist, doesn't exist. The truth is, the one you marry is your soul mate. Catch the difference. This is what God's called us to do. 
When we get married, that's our partner. When we get married, that is our mate. And God calls us to do that for life. Now we know that sometimes that gets broken. And there's sometimes it gets broken beyond our control. But when you get married, that is your soul mate. Not your soul mate. Your soul mate. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen? amen. Okay. Lie number four. And gosh, I hear, I have heard this so many times over the last 40 years. And there was a brief moment in time that I probably believed it. And that's when I met Karen. Uh, but actually, actually, it's a lie. There is only one right person for me. There's only one right person for me. I, I have seen people who go through their whole life and never get married because they think that there's just one right person and they don't marry the right person. They don't find the right person, so they don't get married. But I began to realize, even after Karen and I were dating, and even after I knew that she was the woman that I wanted to marry, I also began to realize that there were a lot of women that I could potentially marry. In fact, when I was growing up, we had a saying, every date is a potential mate. I thought that's a, that's a great saying. Every date is a potential mate, and I still remember it 40 years later. The thing is, there are a lot of possibilities. So how do you know who you're supposed to be married? How do you know? Well, it's this. The truth here is, Jesus makes the person right for me. There is no, there is only one right person for me is a lie, but Jesus makes the person right for me. If Jesus is their Lord and Savior, if Jesus is first in their life, then you can get married. And you can have a healthy, successful marriage with the person if they are committed to Jesus Christ. Two people 100% committed to Jesus Christ will always go in the direction of Jesus Christ. And two people 100% committed to Jesus can make a happy, uh, holy, healthy marriage. I wanted to use not the word happy, but healthy, and it came out happy. Forget that word. Can make a healthy marriage. So there's only one right person for me. That's a lie. Jesus makes the person right for me. That's the truth. Now here's the next one. Sex is for pleasure or procreation. Sex is for pleasure or procreation. Uh, I've heard this all my life. For a long time, you know, a lot of Christians believe that you shouldn't have sex unless you're going to have babies. Uh, and then, you know, because sex was the fountain of all evil and, and every evil thing. Uh, and then... Back when I was younger, uh, there were some books that came out. One was called Intended for Pleasure. Uh, and so it focused the, the, the truth about that on, that on that subject. But actually, if you look at it biblically, sex is for attachment or connection. Sex is what is linking you together with your spouse. It is where you become one. You see that in uh, what God was saying through the prophet Malachi. You see that even in Genesis chapter 2. Therefore, because God created Adam and Eve, therefore man shall leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. It is that connection, that attachment, that union that is the focus of sex and 
Pleasure is great, procreation is great, but that attachment, that connection, is absolutely essential. It's important for us to remember that sex can never satisfy your lust. Never, even if you're married. That cannot happen. It will never do that. At the same time, it's also important for us to remember that sex is never a weapon. It's never about power. And so often I see couples get caught up in both of those kinds of lies. And it comes from sex is for pleasure or procreation, mostly for pleasure and mostly for my pleasure. But that is absolutely not biblical. That's not the truth. Now here's a great secret you ladies need to know about us men. We are extremely vulnerable if we're being open. We're extremely vulnerable in our desire to have a real attachment and connection if we're married to our wives. And that attachment, that connection is reinforced in a healthy sexual expression. And if we don't have that, we don't feel the attachment, we don't feel the connection. And we will never say that. You know, I, I know most men will never say that to their wives because it's such a place of vulnerability and such a place that exposes us to real weakness. Because the only alternative is to force something, but we know that forcing something is not godly. So we have to remember that dynamic. Now, there's a lot of things I'm not saying in this context, and, and certainly I could do a, a longer talk on that. I did a talk in Croatia about 10 years ago to a, in a marriage conference, and one of the guys came up to me afterwards and said, wow, we've never heard a Christian leader use the word sex so much. You know, it's a biblical concept, and it's not something we should be ashamed about or something we should be afraid of, but it is something that is very much misunderstood today, and it's very much distorted by what you see on movies and TVs. I have never, ever seen a film or a TV show that has presented a biblical concept of human sexuality, and I can say that going back 50 years or plus of watching TV. It's a really big issue. That's a big, big lie that sex is for pleasure or procreation. No, the truth is that sex is for attachment and connection between a husband and wife in a righteous relationship before the Lord. And it can be very powerful in that context. So, lie number six. Lie number six. Getting married will meet my needs. That is one of the biggest lies. You know, if I, if I only got married, all these needs that I have, you know, they would be met in my spouse. Nope. Getting married will magnify your need for Jesus. Getting married will magnify your need for Jesus. It's not going to meet your needs. In fact, marriage is about giving yourself fully to meet the needs of the other person. That's what Paul is saying if you go on further down in the text that we read today. He's talking about the concerns that you have when you get married. You have to give yourself fully to meet the other person's needs. Lie number seven. This going okay? You all writing it down and everything? Uh, lie number seven. My spouse will be the only friend I need. Boy, that's a big one. Uh, and it's so totally false. 
Your spouse, the truth, my spouse, will be a constant reminder that I need community. Healthy marriages only exist in the context of healthy communities. And as Christians, healthy marriages only exist in the context of healthy communities of faith. Now, Karen and I are, in terms of a couple, are one of the most self-contained couples that I know. And the reason for that is because God knew that we would face years of hardship and personal attack in ministry, and so he had to make us that way in order for us to survive together the level of attack that we've experienced. But even though we are one of the most self-contained couples I know, we desperately need community. Every healthy marriage needs to be surrounded by friendships, and men need to have men friendships, and women need to have women friendships, uh, and we need community. There are, I, I came to understand in some of my male-to-male male -male relationships, I came to understand what, what uh, David said to Jonathan. You know what David said to Jonathan? He said, your love to me is better than the love of a woman. Now, David was not saying that he's gay. But he's saying that there's a quality of friendship that men have with men and women have with women that is not replicated in a friendship man-to-man, man-to-woman, uh, woman-to-man. And so marriage, marriage reminds us that we need a community in order to be healthy. Lie number eight. Lie number eight. This is so common too. It's incredible. It's my job to change my spouse. It's my job to change my spouse. No, it's my job to love my spouse and let God do the changing. It's my job to love my spouse and let God do the changing. Last I heard, it was the Holy Spirit's responsibility, according to Jesus and John, uh, in the Gospel of John, to convict the world with regard to sin, righteousness, and judgment. And the Holy Spirit does a good job of it if you will allow him to do it. But the Holy Spirit will not do his work if you're trying to do it for him. I learned that a long time ago. Karen and I learned that very, very early on. We can't correct each other. We can love each other, and if we love each other, God will do the correcting. You see, getting married will not mitigate those character flaws. It will magnify them. You know, when Karen and I were dating, I would never dream, I'm sorry if this is a little open, I would never dream of farting in her presence. You know that? When a guy is dating a woman, you know, if he has to pass gas, he'll be really quiet or he'll go to the loo or something like that. But when you're married, guess what? He doesn't tend to do that. He doesn't tend to do that. Now, is that the way it should be? I don't know if it is, but it magnifies things. It magnifies. It's, it's the truth. You know? When you get married, it magnifies those little things that you didn't like about your partner before you got married. They get worse. They get worse. And you know what? God intends it to get worse. This is God's design for marriage, is that it would get worse because God wants marriage to be a place of extreme vulnerability, 
where the best and the worst bits of you emerge so that God might deal with them in love without shame. And do you know what? I am a better man because my wife has loved me and has dealt with these things and chosen to love me through my weaknesses, allowing God to change me so that I could be really open and vulnerable to her, and she has never once shamed me because of my sin. Never once that I can remember. And that's God's design. Because because of that, I'm a better man. And I'm closer to Jesus. It goes back to God's desire for marriage is that it would make us holy, not just happy. So that's lie number eight. Lie number nine. The key to marriage is passion. Passion. Now many people think, I just got to have passion, and the passion has to be there 24-7. We get up and we're, oh, babe, I love you. Oh, I love you. You're my man. Oh, well, you're my woman. Uh, you know, that, that kind of passion, it's operatic. You know, I, I learned early on that I shouldn't do opera first thing in the morning with my wife. You know, I'd come in, you know, I'd, I'd be passionate. I love you, my wife. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. You're so beautiful to me. And then when the alarm clock went flying past my head, <laughs> I, I figured out that she doesn't like to be awakened in the morning with passion. The mornings are for gentleness and quiet and peace. You see that the, there's this myth of passion. Uh, I, I used to love roller coasters, but I tell you what, I couldn't live on a roller coaster, right? I like mountaintop experiences, but I found you don't normally live on a mountain. Most of the time you live in a valley. And that's the reality of life. Well, if it's not about, if the key to marriage is not passion, then what is it? The key to marriage is perseverance. Perseverance. Love is a daily choice we make, not a feeling we have. Love is a daily choice we make, not a feeling we have. So, that's line number, line number nine. Mar key to marriage is passion. No, the key to marriage is perseverance. So what about lie number 10? Now this is the one that I got from a, a woman named Debbie McDaniel online, uh, writing a few years ago, and I really like this because it's really true. I've heard this so many times. The lie is marriage is a 50-50 relationship. 50-50 relationship. I've heard that so many times. Well, you know, if I give a little, my spouse gives a little. You know, we do first do what I want to do, and then we'll do what she wants to do. You know, it's 50-50. I'll do the dishes, and she takes out the rubbish. Uh, I'll make the bed, and she'll do the dusting. And it's going to be 50-50. And especially when we have children, then I'll change a nappy, and he'll change a nappy. Yeah, like that ever happens. Uh, and, and it's that kind of, that 50-50 mentality that actually destroys marriages. So what's the truth? The truth is that marriage is a 100-100 relationship. 
each couple, each person giving 100% all the time. 100% all the time. I don't say, well, Karen, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be 50% for you, so two weeks out of the month, I'm going to go a- and live with some other woman. You know, we know that that's not godly, but our attitude sometimes is like that. We give 100 to 100, 100 to 100. That's what it's all called for. And you know what? Sometimes your spouse won't be able to give 100. Sometimes your spouse might not be able to give anything, but you're still called to give 100. And how long do you do that? You just keep doing it. One of my heroes in this right now is Neil Anderson. Many of you know Neil Anderson from uh, writing Victory Over the Darkness and The Bondage Breaker, uh, the founder of Freedom in Christ Ministries International. A mighty man of God. And Neil Anderson is still in prime in terms of ministry. I think he's about 70, uh, maybe a little over 70, maybe not quite 75, I think he's around 70-ish in in terms of age, still has a lot of vigor, uh, still has a lot to give, but you know what? His wife, Joanne, has severe dementia. He writes about it in a book, so I'm uh, I'm not taking away anything from this. He has, she has severe dementia. And you know what Neil has done? He set aside the entire international ministry of freedom in Christ, given it to Steve Goss, and said, I'm not gonna travel I'm going to stay, and every day I'm going to go and take care of my wife. She's in a home right now because people in that stage can't really effectively be cared for at home. And every day, almost without fail, he goes early in the morning, he gets her up, spends most of the day with her, at night helps put her to bed, and then he goes home. And that's his life, giving 100% to his wife. That's what marriage is about. That's what marriage is about. Marriage is a 100% to 100% relationship. So, lie number 11. We're getting down to the wire here. Lie number 11. Marriage will give me fulfillment. (laughs) Only Jesus will give you fulfillment. If you are looking for fulfillment for anything outside of Jesus Christ, you're committing idolatry. Marriage will not give you fulfillment. Marriage will just draw you more and more to Jesus. Only Jesus will give you fulfillment. Only Jesus gives us the meaning in our lives that we want. Only Jesus gives us that that purpose that we need. Uh, There's a, a similar lie to this, kind of a corollary lie, this idea that my spouse will complete me. No, only Jesus completes us. You are a whole person in Jesus, not because you get married or not because you're single. It's in Christ that men and women become whole. It's in Christ that men and women find their fulfillment. It's in Christ that we have our destiny. You know, the day will come when you won't be married. Even if you died on the exact same day when you got to the new creation, you will not be married. Because there won't be marriage then, as we know. We won't need it. We won't need it. So marriage will not bring fulfillment. Only Jesus will give you fulfillment. And here's the last lie. And in some ways, it's one of the biggest lies that you will find. 
the lie here that everyone should get married. That's a lie. It's not even remotely biblical. It's very cultural. There are many cultures where if you're not married, you're seen, seen like a lesser person. Uh, and I understand that, not from the sense of being signal, single, but from the sense of not having children. You know, over the years, when people have found out that Karen and I couldn't have children of our own, uh, you'd be amazed at some of the looks we got. You know, it's just like, well, I thought you were a man of God. I thought you were a person of faith. Well, well, if you haven't been able to have kids, you have nothing to say to me, spiritually. Not even talking about children. You know, that happens, and there's that stigma that comes, but that stigma is unbiblical and ungodly. The truth is that some of the most influential people in history were single, including Paul and including Jesus himself. And many, many others. Many, many others. Marriage does not define your worth in the kingdom. In fact, Marriage doesn't define you at all. So what's the truth? It's what Paul says here in verse 17. The truth is this. Everyone should live the life before them. Everyone should live the life before them. You know, Karen and I, when we started dating, we, we dated, we had one date that was absolutely disastrous. Uh, and we said, well, we're not going to date each other ever again. That's terrible. Uh, and then uh, we kind of started drawing together a little bit. And I really, the Lord just spoke to me very clearly that I was to go into the ministry. And I remember we were dating at the time. And I remember going to Karen even that day. And I said, well, you know, I really have this sense of call now to go and be a pastor. You know, what do you think? And, and she said, well, I've always felt called to be the wife of a pastor. And we were living the life that God had set before us, and it just so happened that our lives intersected together, and we continued on the journey together. You have to live the life that is set before you. I was meeting with a, a, a Christian leader recently, not part of City Temple, a Christian leader, and, and he was single, and he's been in the ministry, and he said, you know, I'm not opposed to getting married, I just, you know, I, I had to follow God's call and the person hasn't been there for me to marry. You know, one day maybe they will be, one day maybe they won't. But regardless, I'm going to live the life that God has set before me. I'm going to follow my calling. And that is absolutely essential for us. It is essential for us. Live the life set before you. Live the life that God has given you. And rejoice in that and celebrate that and refuse to allow anybody to define you otherwise than living the life that God has called you to. Because it's a lie that everyone should get married. Marriage is hard. And I, and I tell you, over the years, I have counseled many people who were so desperate to get married, and then they got married, they thought the person was the right one, and they felt like they were living in hell. I tell people, being single is not the worst thing that can happen to you. Being childless is not the worst thing that can happen to you. I told the Lord, uh, Karen and I told the Lord 25 years ago or more now, that, Lord, if you know that our children would not follow you, we don't want to have kids. I would rather not have a child than know, have a child and know the child's going to spend eternity in hell because they've 
they did not follow Jesus. So these are serious things, but the key thing, live the life that is set before you. That's the truth. Live the life that is set before you. Well, just a couple of closing observations here. Uh, Hopefully this has challenged, encouraged you. I don't know what it's done. Maybe somebody listening to it. If you know somebody that needs to hear it, forward the sermon to them. But I want to give you a, a, a few closing comments here. First of all, no matter your marital status, you live by grace. That's true for all of us. We live by grace. God's grace is on our lives, no matter your marital status. You also have to remember, no matter your marital status, Jesus died for you. Jesus died for you. God loves you. He doesn't love married people more. He doesn't love people with children more. He doesn't love single people more. He loves us all with all the passion of his being. And we must always remember that. And finally, no matter our marital status, our lives, your life matter to God. And we each have a unique mission to do in the kingdom of God, living our lives for good, doing the good works that God has already prepared for us to do. This is our calling And so our challenge to the glory of God in Jesus Christ, no matter what, no matter the struggle, I know sometimes it's really a struggle to be married, and I know sometimes it's a struggle to be single, and it's a struggle to be parents, and God knows our struggles, and God is with us in those moments of struggle. I'm not trying to minimize any of those kinds of things. I would never do that. Our feelings, the, the, the things we're going through are very, very real. But we always must remember the truth that you are important, that nobody will replace you, that getting married does not make you more effective in the kingdom of God, that God has a special plan, purpose, calling on your life, and your responsibility is to live that life before you for the glory of God in Jesus Christ. And as we do that, we find our fulfillment in Jesus. As we do that, God puts us in relationships in a community of love with people, fellow journeyers, going in the same way. As we do that, God reminds us that we matter to him and that he's going to use us for his glory and praise. Father God, thank you so much. Lord, I know there's so many other things that we believe about marriage that aren't true. But I pray, Father God, for people who heard this, who are listening to it, maybe online, that you'd encourage them, that you'd comfort them, and that you'd challenge them. Lord, for those who are not married, I pray that you would give them just a realistic assessment of what that's all about and also a sense of fulfillment and where they are with you at the moment. For those that are married, married, I pray that you'd strengthen their marriage and help them to be on a mission together to bring glory and honor to Jesus. We love you, we praise you, we worship you and adore you. And we thank you for your presence here through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.